right, good morning, church. So I have several things before we get going. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter one on your phone, or if you have a real Bible, that would be awesome as well. Uh, first thing I wanna tell you is I uh, faithfully introduced this church congregation to uh, what's known as the shacket, where it's not a shirt, it's not a jacket, it's a shacket. Today, I would like to formally introduce you to, this is uh, not a sweater. It's most certainly not a cardigan, by the way. It's not a sweater. I need you to know that. It's not a jacket. It's what you would call a swacket. It's a swacket. So it's a suit coat, but it's made in a sweater. Do you like it? I'll never wear it again. I mean, it's the hottest thing you've ever experienced. So, hey, I, I, want, to, uh, I want to jump us in here, but before I do, I got one thing to do, because I haven't seen you. Have you set a date yet? So, you know, they got, they got, there was a great proposal at our, one of our Christmas Eve services. And so if you weren't at that service, you missed it. And so, but you haven't set a date yet? What are you waiting for? You did say yes, I was there. So now it's just a date. Okay, I'll set one for you. Okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. Um, I want you guys to know we have so much going on. You just saw Disciple Now is coming up. And so make sure you participate in that. We had Bingo, which was bingo this last Friday night. It was so much fun. I wanna thank those who put that together. It was incredible. Yeah, thank you. Um, I learned that I'm the worst bingo player in the entire church. So that was awesome. Um, I didn't know I was such a loser. So then the next thing I wanna tell you is, and this is really important, super important, the parent conference. If you have not registered for the parent conference, it's next Saturday, please, please, please register. If nothing else, Troy and I are doing a session together. It's an hour and 15 minutes. And if nothing else, you should just come to our session because it's gonna be fun. I mean, other than the fact Troy's gonna be there, it's gonna be so much fun. And so it'll be good. And then also I wanna tell you that we set our relentless goal last year at 300,000 gospel shares. We actually shared the gospel 377,705 times. So we exceeded our goal, so great job. But this year we've set our goal for 500,000. And this is the relentless campaign. This is how many times we're gonna share the gospel within our network. That's the church campuses and then also missions. Well, a big part of that 500,000 that we're gonna reach is in Ethiopia. And our Ethiopian congregation, which has been meeting in Hutto, is actually moving to the Round Rock campus. They're gonna be in the old student building since the new student building's done. And so when you see that congregation on campus, walking around, please, please, please welcome them and make them feel welcome and thank them for what they're doing because what's happening in Ethiopia, it's sensational. And so we're super excited to have them back. Will you guys be gracious to them? Say yes. All right, well, let me, uh, let me get us going here. Um, before I pray over the scripture, let me set it up. So Romans chapter one, it was around 57 AD. Uh, the apostle Paul is actually writing a letter to the church in Rome, okay? And as he writes this letter, he is writing to the church. He didn't plant, he didn't start. In fact, in Acts chapter two, Pentecost took place. Thousands of people are saved at Pentecost. They left Jerusalem. They went back to Rome and actually started a church. And so he's writing a letter to some of those who had a firsthand witness to the Holy Spirit actually dropping down. So incredible. Like this church, said, you gotta know that this church was literally on fire for the Lord. I mean, it would have been just a unbelievable worship service at this church. And so in Rome, this is where they're at. Now in this particular passage we're gonna to cover today, the second portion of Romans, one, I think it's one of the most misunderstood passages in the New Testament. I think that we miss what it's actually saying to us uh, because of what it says. But then two, it actually exposes 
my greatest fear. What's your greatest fear? For a lot of people, their greatest fear would be heights, spiders. For many people, the greatest fear is death. What's your greatest fear? I want you to just quickly turn to your neighbor and tell them my greatest fear is, and tell them, snakes better be in somebody's. Come on, we're in church. What's your greatest fear? Turn, turn quickly. What's your greatest fear? That the Cowboys are going to win today. Fear not. Fear not. They're the Cowboys. They are built, built to destroy my soul. Jesus came to restore. They were sent to destroy. And so I think that the Cowboys are a mirage, but it's a whole other story. It's not time to talk football. God, I thank you for the fact that today we come together, um, those in this room that have been faithful enough to brave the cold. What I ask, Lord, is that you would let us see your word in a fresh way. I pray, God, that you would inspire our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us today to understand what you have truly done for us and what you desire to do for us. And so, Lord, in this room today, would you speak boldly through your word? Let us receive it. I pray, God, that you would offend the hearts that need to be offended. You would soften hearts that need to be softened. Lord, you would change hearts that need to be changed. I pray for repentance to take place here. In Jesus' name, everybody in the house said, amen, amen, amen. Romans chapter one, I'm gonna pick up reading in verse one. He exposes my greatest fear. I'll tell you what it is in a minute. Romans chapter one, verse 17, it says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So in it, last week we dealt with this. We closed out here, actually. I almost suffocated right there on the spot, by the way. Um, Romans chapter one, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So we're talking about the gospel. So for in it, this is still referencing the gospel. It's saying in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the righteousness of God is revealed. This is from faith to faith. That means cover to cover. That's from beginning to end. Everything you want to know about God's goodness is found in Jesus, in the gospel, the story and the life of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. And for us to understand the gospel, for us to understand Jesus and what has been revealed, we actually have to understand the flip side as well. So we can't just understand God's goodness and his mercy and his grace, which I know that's what we like to talk about in the church today, because that gives us permission just to live whatever life we wanna live. But the reality is the scripture is very pointed here. The gospel doesn't just reveal God's goodness. It also reveals, look at the next verse, verse 18. It also reveals for the wrath of God. The gospel reveals the wrath of God as well because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. And by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. I'm gonna come back to this in just a minute. I'll come back to suppressing the truth in just a moment. But it's saying, so the gospel reveals God's goodness. The gospel also reveals the wrath of God. So it's not just that God is for you, but it also reveals what it means for God to be against you. Now, this isn't talked about a lot in church, right? Because it's not friendly. It's not friendly. But the reality of this is for us to understand the goodness of God, we have to understand what we're being saved from. We have to understand the wrath of God. We have to understand the flip side. And again, I don't want to try to do, I mean, this is not a scare tactic today. I'm just wanting you to understand we cannot suppress the truth. And the truth is we are not all children of God. We're not. 
The truth is, you're an enemy of God until you come to know Christ. Once you come to know Christ, then you are a child of God. Until then, you are not a child of God. That was broken in the garden. We studied this in Genesis. When man sinned against God, it separated man from God. And so you are not his child until you accept Christ as your Savior. Now, I think the bigger issue here comes back to, listen to this very carefully, this word wrath. I want to deal with this because Why does the wrath of God have to even exist? I'll show that in a moment, but let me tell you what this wrath actually means. Because when we see the wrath of God, I'm gonna expose this today, but this word wrath here, the word wrath is used twice in the Old Testament, in the Greek. The first word for wrath in the the New Testament, I'm sorry, I said Old Testament, in the New Testament is the word thumus, which means, uh, it means uh, thermometer or thermostat or or thermometer. It's it's, um, red hot, boiling, it's, it's anger. It's, it's like blowing up. That's what that word means, thumus. But this word in the New Testament of for wrath is actually the word orge. And orge means to grow, to grow ripe or to, to store up, to build up. In fact, we see this very clearly in Romans chapter 2, verse 5. We see orge, and, and, it used in, oops, and it's used perfectly here. It says, because of your hard and impotent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself. This sentence, again, we use a lot more words. Storing up wrath gives us an understanding of what orgasm means, that wrath is being stored up that's going to come against us. Right? So understanding the way that these words are used is important. But I want you to know, first of all, why is wrath even coming? Why, Why is it coming? Why does God's wrath even exist? We'll go back to verse 18 for me. It's because we've suppressed the truth. See, suppressing the truth means that we are actually going to take what God says, what God commands, what God decides, what God decrees, what God desires, and we push that aside. We're suppressing the truth. He is the ultimate truth. And so when we don't receive from him, we are suppressing the truth. So it's actually pushing God away. It's going to be further exposed in the next verse, where it says in verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them. So it's like, look, this is very clear. There's been a revelation from God and they are ignoring it. So they're not just pushing God away. They're ignoring the revelation that he's given. Here's how he gives this revelation. The next verse, verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 20. (laughs) For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Why are they without excuse? Because the invisible attributes of God, that means his power, his nature, they are clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So Paul is obviously a creationist. And since creation, God has been revealing himself. And since creation, man has been rejecting what he has revealed. You understand this, right? And so these are the two reasons that God's wrath is even going to come. It's because we suppress truth and we ignore his creation. Go back to the garden. The garden, God says, hey, these are the trees. You cannot touch this tree. They suppressed the truth and they ignored creation. They suppressed the truth and they ignored creation. Now, I think it's real important to understand, and I think all of you know this. If you go to the mountains, just go to a mountain range and just stand there. Tell me you don't see the glory of God. Go stand on the beach and watch the ocean roll in. Tell me you don't see an incredible creator. 
Watch the sunrise and see what the sky does. Tell me you don't see his glory. Watch the sunset and look at the sky and tell me you don't see his glory. And so his creation screams, I am a creative God. And yet, it's saying they don't even get it. You know, for 2024, my, my family, we do goals. My kids, my wife, myself, we do goals. And so we do spiritual goals, we do physical goals, we do, we do several goals, different categories. And one of the goals that I set this year is I said, hey, this year in 2024, I want to either see a mountain or an ocean every month. So one month we may go to the mountains. The next month I wanna go to the ocean. And I thought this sounded like an incredible goal, a fantastic goal. And my wife looked at me and she said, are you an, I won't say exactly what she said, but it it rhymed with idiot. I'm like, well, it sounds like a great idea. She goes, it doesn't. And she looked at me, she's like, you didn't have time to go see your dad in the hospital. How are you gonna have time to go run off to the mountains and to the ocean? I said, okay, all right, okay. So here's the deal. We'll leave like at 3 a.m. We'll get there, it's Colorado in time for sunset. We'll watch the sunset, we'll stay in a cheap hotel. And then after that, we'll watch the sunrise and we'll just drive home. And she looked at me again and she told me another word that rhymes with a moron. I thought it sounded fantastic, but apparently we're doing nothing this year, all right? His creation screams his glory. Verse 21, for although they knew God, oh, this gets good here, uh-oh. I'm about to step on your toes here, okay? I want you to know this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. All right, so whose story am I telling? Right now, in here, whose story am I sharing? But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts darkened. The first thing I want you to know is they knew God. They, had, they knew that he existed. They knew that he was out there, but they didn't give thanks to him. They didn't worship him. They didn't live for him. This sounds a lot like the modern day Christian, by the way. The one who says, I'm going to attend church. I'm going to know about God. I'm gonna know about Christ, but I'm not going to surrender myself to him. And this brings so much confusion. Some of you, I I said a couple weeks ago, I said, look, there are a lot of people that are saved, but they are lost. This is why we're lost. If you're in this room and you feel lost right now, this is why. Because you know about God, but you have not repented. You have not turned your life to him. You haven't become sold out. You haven't said, I'm all in. You have casually tried to pursue Jesus while you have faithfully served your own fleshly desires. And that is confusing. And that is why you remain lost. Even though you're saved, you feel lost. That's it. Right here, it's explained to you. It says their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, Paul, this is 57 AD. This isn't common. He's not writing this today to us. But tell me this doesn't apply. Watch the train that we get on here. He's going to put us on a train, and he's going to take us down, and he's going to be a tour guide here. He's going to show us what a foolish, darkened heart looks like. He's going to show us what this looks like. The first step of a foolish, darkened heart, watch this, you ready? Is, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. So a darkened heart thinks that they are wise, but the truth is, they're a fool. He's saying, look, once you've darkened your heart, pride, I mean, you are always right. No one else could possibly be right. You're always right, and vanity. Once your heart's darkened, it's all about you. 
And so pride and vanity take over. That's what he's just said there. The next verse, verse 23, he goes on, he says, and you have exchanged the glory of an immortal God for the images resembling a mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is idolatry. This means he's saying, look, not only, not only have you just simply um, not recognizing who God is fully, has created pride and vanity in you, but it's also created an idol worshiper in you. He's like, this idea of idolatry, this means you are worshiping everything but God. We worship everything. And we do. This is very natural for us. And because it seems natural, we think it's okay and it's not. Guys, I need you to understand that as a body of believers, as a Christian, the reason that the church is moving forward, but not at the pace it should be, is because we are idolaters. We worship everything that crosses our path hours and hours on social media. Why? Hours and hours on sports. Why? Hours and hours on trying to build something for yourself that you will not take with you. I just need us to begin to see the picture that Paul's painting because I think it's relevant. Honestly, I, I think it's been my story. I think it's probably relatable to you too. Next stop on the train ride, verse 24. Therefore, first time we see this, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. I mean, look, I, I find this and say, look, he's giving them up. And so it's the immoral, immoral, they're becoming immoral. And so you just see this decay take place. And it's a very common decay. In fact, if you go through history, this is gonna be the, the you will find this trail. No matter where you look in history, when you see the decline of a society, you will see this trail. It will see they don't recognize who God is, and then the pride and vanity take over. They begin to live for themselves. Then they begin to worship everything but God, and then immoral behavior sets in. This is the decline of every civilization that you want to study through history. And Paul is writing it in 57 AD to the Roman church saying, look, you need to understand, you get on this train, it ends in disaster. It ends in disaster. And I think it's pretty fair, right? Wouldn't you say this is fair? It's a fair conversation. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God or the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who blessed them forever. Amen. So they exchanged the truth. Remember the truth that they suppressed the truth? They suppressed the truth. They ignore God. So they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than creator. They began to worship man. They began to worship each other. They began to worship themselves rather than the creator. It's pretty striking to see this because when they exchanged the truth about God, when they exchanged this truth, there's a result. There's cause and there's effect. And this cause and effect, we see this through every aspect of our life. We see this in the scripture. So the cause here, the cause, they have decided they would not recognize God. They've allowed pride and vanity to take over. Idolatry, they begin to worship everything. They are immoral in their lives. And because of these things, this is the result. Here is the ultimate result in verse 26. This is starting to tap into the second time we see it. My greatest fear, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up. I don't, I, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. To a dishonorable passions, 
for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I wanted to say this out loud and I want to say it once. Bad theology leads to bad sexuality. You know this, right? This, this train, this ride that we're on, this journey we're taking with Paul, he is telling us, look, you want to ignore God, you want to suppress his truth, you want to worship yourself, you want to live in pride, you want to have, let your own passions take over, here's the end result. Tell me that Paul in 57 AD didn't see what's coming. Tell me. I mean, tell me anything I'm saying right now isn't truth. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that you'd agree with it, but tell me it's not true. This is, the, this is the path. It's a very clear path that has been clearly spoken that we've seen repeated over and over and over in history. You want to read fascinating history? Go back to Amsterdam. Go read history of Amsterdam. Just read their path and watch, watch the trail. It is literally the same trail that we see here. It is literally the same trail that I've watched happen in our country over the last 40 years. It's the same trail. So there's nothing new under the sun. And Oddly enough, we make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, here it is, I gotta stop, this is the third time we've seen it. God gave them up. He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is, in essence, this entire sentence here is the third element of God's wrath that we see. This is my greatest fear, by the way. God giving up on me. God giving up on my kids. God giving up on my spouse. One of my greatest fear is that God says, you know what, I'm gonna allow my wrath to fall on you. And here's the three elements of wrath. These are the three elements of wrath we see in scripture. You may have another one, but these are the three that I could think of and I have the microphone. So number one, the very first one we see is we see the final judgment, the wrath of God that falls on his final judgment. In fact, the letter that Paul wrote, to, uh, the first letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, he actually talks about the wrath that is to come. He's talking about final judgment, the great white throne of judgment. We all know the judgment that's gonna come at the end times. It's expressed, it's talked about. That's the first sign of God's wrath that we really sort of understand. The second one, Paul also explains Romans 13. Again, some people don't recognize this. I believe it's very clear in scripture. Romans 13, uh, judicial law. So our judicial system actually institutes God's judgment. You're speeding, you're going over the speed limit, you get pulled over, there are consequences to that. That is God's wrath, that is his law, and you have broke the law, and there are immediate consequences. Wrath are consequences, wrath, consequences. There are results to the things that we do. The third and the scary, and what he has said now three times, and anytime God repeats it in his word, it means pay attention. Surely, surely I say unto you, that means you better stop and listen. This is the third time, third time, that we've seen God gave them up. This is what's called the permissible wrath of God. And this is the scariest one to me. This is the one that I fear. This is my greatest fear. It's my greatest fear for my kids. It's my greatest fear for my wife. It's my greatest fear for myself that I get so caught up in myself, so darkened that God just says, you know what? 
let him alone. Let him alone. And he would say, well, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. I've been in church a long time and God loves me. God chases me. He runs after me. He's never going to let me go. Okay, I'll do some work on that. But, but first of all, let me, let me tell you this. The truth, the truth is we have actually created a mindset in the church that says if you go to church or even if you say a gentle prayer, even if you find yourself in a moment of, you know, I've, I've been to church, I, I served in the cafe ministry. We naturally think, okay, so I'm a Christian. My parents went to church. You know, it's, it's shocking, but I've never done a funeral. Now, one time where the family didn't some way, somehow say that their loved one was a Christian. Because everybody wants to think that they are a Christian. But here's the thing without repentance in your heart, without life change, don't be deceived. Don't let what the church has done, don't let what your neighbors have done, don't even let what I say at times, let, don't let that get in a way and deceive you. If your life isn't changing, if you're not repenting, you don't know the Lord. You need to understand this because having mind, knowing about him or know where he's going or think about Jesus, that's not enough. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach clearly that we repent of our sin, that we call upon the name of the Lord, and then we are saved. We believe not just in who Jesus is, but in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which the church was founded on. It is us surrendering everything we are. There is no such thing as a casual Christian. There is no such thing as someone who says, well, I am a blank Christian. No, you're not. You either follow Jesus or you don't. And everything else is a lie. Everything else is suppressing the truth and it's pride and it's vanity and it's trying to fit in a narrative that feels good to us. And it scares the stink out of me because I don't want to live in a deceived state of Christianity. And I know that if I come in every week and I preach this every week, this, was what, this is what the room would look like every week. Minus a couple, maybe a few hundred people. Because people don't want to hear it. But you have to. And the scriptures that we're walking through right now are screaming, permissible wrath is scary. Let me show you. Hosea chapter 4, verse 17. Ephraim, which is, we studied Ephraim in Genesis. Ephraim represents a portion of Israel. And God is actually speaking through the prophet and he's talking about the punishment. He's talking about the blessing. He says, Ephraim is joined to idols. That means he's worshiping everything but me. He says, leave him alone. Don't even go after him. Don't even go after him. He's too stuck on himself and his own narrative. Leave him alone. That scares me. Matthew chapter 15, verse 12, the disciples, they came to Jesus and they said to him, do you know that the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, were offended when they heard the saying, he answered, whoa, 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 stop. Every plant that my father plant, that my heavenly father has planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. Don't worry about them. Let the blind lead the blind. They're gonna fall into a pit. He says, don't worry about them. They wanna make excuses. They wanna live their own life their own way. Just let them do it. This scares me to death. It scares me. It's permissible wrath. Acts chapter seven, verse 42, Stephen is about to be stoned to death, about to be killed. And he's given this whole testimony about the story of, of Israel and how transformation has taken place. And he says very clearly, but God turned away from them and he gave them over 
God turned away and he gave them over. God turning away and he gave them over. This is permissible wrath. And when I begin to think about the wrath of God, I see, okay, so the wrath of God existed because they suppressed the truth and they ignored him. We saw it in the garden. We see it all the way through history. The way we see God's wrath is through, obviously, his final judgment. We see God's wrath is going to be very clear through the judicial, judicial system. That's our logo for the series, by the way. We also understand that God's wrath is permissible. He's going to just let you go do what you want to do. You don't want me? Okay. Okay. Scares me. Because the result of being let go by God is your favorite series on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. It's what you watch on TV. It's what culture has spoon-fed you, what we've normalized. We've normalized all sin, haven't we? Watch this. The result of permissible wrath of God, the result means he's let you go. Here's what happens. Chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, and they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You wanna just go? Okay, go. Here's the result. This is your story. And God created us for so much more than this. Goes on and he says in verse 32, though they knew God's righteous decree. In other words, they knew God's word. So they knew his word. They knew about him. They knew his word. Those who practice such things. So those who know God's word, hear me clearly. Those who know God's word, they know his truth, but they practice opposite of his truth. It says these things, they deserve to die. Now, this is both physical and spiritual death. But watch this. This one gets crazy. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is the trap. This here is the trap of permissible wrath right here. I mean, look, who am I to judge? They got to make their own decisions. They got to make their own mistakes. I am a astonished at the people who leave the church because they are angry because we do not affirm a lifestyle that they desire for us to affirm. And the problem is it's because their kids have made a decision and they love their kids. I love my kids. I would love my kids no matter what. You should love your kids no matter what. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to, we can't affirm something that goes against God's truth. You just can't, we can't do it. We, we are not going to surrender to what the culture says is right and wrong because the scriptures teach us what right and wrong actually are. And so for me, I look at this and I'm like, you give an approval to them, give an approval. This is the one that, you know, grabs a hold of me and it just doesn't let go. I have friends who have kids who are not married, who are living with their boyfriends and girlfriends they're okay with it. Most of us in this room know that when we break outside of God's code, we are bringing complications, not maybe just for today, but for the future. For the future. And I love my kids, and I don't want them to make mistakes that I know are going to destroy them. 
And yet we give permission, we celebrate, we clap our hands, we say good for them. No, it's not. And there's a whole line of things that I could draw out here. What I wanna do is I wanna take your eyes away from the fact that I know all of you are still stuck on 25 and 26. I know that you're still stuck on sexuality. Get past that for a moment and let's understand that there is a broad stroke that Paul is making here for the church to understand that without repentance, without life change, without understanding that there are consequences, God's wrath will fall on us. We miss who he truly is. I know the gospel. It celebrates God's goodness and his mercy and his grace, and I'm thankful for that. But the gospel, according to Paul, here in Romans chapter one, it also reveals that there is a wrath of God. And we can't ignore it, or we are going to live like fools. Prideful, full of vanity, fools. Self-indulgent, permitting everybody to do anything they want, fools. And we can't honor the Lord like that. Paul is saying, there is a plumb line. His name is Jesus. Cover to cover, end to end, we understand God's goodness. Let's follow him. Let's not walk like we know he exists, but let's actually walk like we want to follow him. Let's follow in his footsteps. Now, to sum this up, I want to be really, really clear here, okay? Because there's three categories. Category one, are you with me? Stay with me. Three categories. I don't want you to miss this. This person here is the man or woman who has accepted Christ as your Savior. I need you to understand that the Scripture says that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Your salvation is secure. There is no condemnation on you. I want you to know that you are secure in your faith if you have accepted Christ. I'm not saying if you've come to church. I'm not saying if you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm saying if you have repented of your sin, you have changed your life, you are chasing after him. I'm saying if you have fully surrendered, I'm not talking about this Mickey Mouse church game. I'm talking about real surrender. Then you're secure. And God is not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Then there's those who just, they don't believe. They just aren't, they're, you know what? I think God may be good. <clears throat> I see elements of creation. I get all that, but I'm just not going to follow God. This is the person here that I love deeply and that I actually sympathize with, and that you and I, we should pray for. If that's your kids, if that's your spouse, you pray for them, and you pray, God, please don't let go of them. Please, please don't let go of them. Don't stop sharing. Don't stop letting them hear truth. Plead with God for that, okay? And then there's the middle ground one. And this is probably, um, this might be you. This is the one who says, yes, I have come to church, I believe in Jesus, I, I sing to Jesus, but you know, you know that your life has not been surrendered. You're, you're playing what I call the church game or the religious game. You are in the danger zone. And the reason you're in the danger zone is because you can only mock God so long until he lets go. And I don't want God to let go of you. I don't want God to let go of any of you. And so I'm asking you in the room today, if this passage 
settles in, you understand what it means for us. The gospel shows God's goodness and his wrath. God, thank you for your truth. Please, please don't let go of me. That should be the prayer of every man, woman, and child in this room. No matter where you are, God, please don't release me. Please don't let go of me. And then I'm gonna ask you and I'm gonna pray over you that you would begin to chase hard after God. This is not a joke. This is not some mythical thing that we do. This is eternal consequences. And I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not asking you today to sign up to serve somewhere. I'm not asking you for your stinking money. I'm not asking you for anything other than I want you to be right with God. I want you to be right with God. If you knew the nightmares, the dreams, the things that process through my brain about us and you as my friends, I want you to know God and I want you to love God and I want you to walk with God. But you have to make that decision. And it begins with you praying faithfully. And I want you to start here with me. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, God, today I pray over my brothers and sisters. God, I pray that you wouldn't let go of a single one of them. God, that you would hold on to us who are rebellious, who are prideful, who are haughty, who chart our own path, who make our own rules, who permit whatever we want because it feels right to us and it doesn't, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. God, I pray that you would hold on to us. And what I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now, I want you to pray, God, today in this room, pray earnestly. God, if it's for your kids that you know that they're wayward, God, please don't let go of my kids. Would you pray that right now? Just pray, God, please don't let go of my kids. Don't let go of them. Earnestly pray for them. If it's your spouse, would you pray over your spouse? God, please don't let them become dark and please don't, don't let go of them. Draw them to yourself. Maybe it's you. God, please don't let go of me. I know that I am rebellious. I know that I'm constantly turning and toiling. Please don't let go of me. Please don't let go of me. God, thank you that your hands are strong. And those who will seek you will find you. Those who pursue you will catch you. Those who long for you will be fed. Those who are weak will become strong in you. Those who are hopeless will be filled with hope. So God, I just pray your favor over this congregation. I pray for repentance and revival to take place in the hearts of my friends. I pray, God, that you would change every one of us. Lord, start from me, purge, cleanse me. Start with us. Start with us and work out into this world. But Lord, we pray, God, that you would do a work, constant work in us. We don't wanna be a church. We wanna be your followers. Radical, relentless followers of Jesus. Pray your favor and your blessing over this congregation. In Jesus' name, everybody in the house said, Amen.